Welcome to Common Ground with Sean. Get ready for another great episode. This is episode 10 with James Machetti from onezoo.com.au. Really exciting podcast today. We take this uh, earlier in the week, uh, talking about all things supply chain, uh, which is so beneficial for for everyone in hospitality in Australia. So I hope you enjoyed this episode today. Welcome to Common Ground, episode 10. I hope everyone is really well, really excited to get today underway with James Machetti of onezoo.com.au, a supply chain app uh, for hospitality clients. James, great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Wow, even a clap. It's our first clap clap that we've ever had, so I'm excited about that. Well, I'm excited about being here. Well, I uh, follow it very closely. You know, I want to say that I enjoy all your emails. That's good. Um, I do thoroughly enjoy your emails. They're some of the highlights of my day. <laughs> Not that I get them daily, but <laughs> probably every other day. But that's good. Enough. That's good, um, mate. It's honestly really good to have you on the show. Obviously, you're a director of this great Australian brand um, that's really changing things up in supply chain in Australia. Um, but first, before we get started into what you're actually doing, let's uh, let the common ground audience just mm-hmm. understand how you actually got here to start with. How we got here? Yes. So, you want the... Like how you got here? Like how I, I, I came in the car, <laughs> I sat around the WeWork building for 15 minutes mm-hmm. trying to find a car park. Mm-hmm. There were some words said to other people and we got here. And you got here, so that's a good um, start. But prior to that, there was a mummy and a daddy. And then <laughs> post that, we fast forward a couple of years. Um, I don't know. I. We started Gloveman, which is a packaging company, mm-hmm. eight years ago. We being my father, Paul, and myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done that now successfully for eight years, as I said. Mm-hmm. Um, we sort of grew that out of a necessity. I had another business with a mate. Uh, we're doing cement render. Mm-hmm. And that didn't really take off the way we wanted it to. We had business. We had everything working. It just wasn't working for us, I guess. Okay. So I was sort of in a lull, waiting for something to do. Uh, dad was buying and selling things at the time, so he'd buy dead stock. <clears throat> so he'd go into a um, say warehouse, literally say, what are you buying? Mm-hmm. Oh, what are you selling, sorry? Mm-hmm. And he'd take what they can't get rid of and go find someone else for it. Um, there was a whole lot of gloves, and he said, hey, do you want to come sell these gloves with me? Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. So they were vinyl gloves, so we went door to door selling those. Okay. Um, we had other people come on and go... We did that for about two years, maybe a bit less, and mm-hmm. then everyone kept asking us for more products, <clears throat> as they do. We sort of base ourselves on uh, highly service. You know, when it's one product, it's just competition, competition, competition. We gave them a good price um, and made it service-based. So everyone wanted more than what we had. So we started adding other things, wipes, napkins, all the good stuff, mm-hmm. started adding. And then eventually we decided, hey, let's go full force into it. You know, okay. There was a couple of options we could have gone we sort of thought through was like, well, do we sort of set up like a Jim's mowing kind of thing where people could sell mm-hmm. um, gloves and all the different types of gloves, riggers gloves, welding gloves, you name it, mm-hmm. or should we go the packaging route? Right. Our biggest clientele were hospitality. Yep. It seemed the easiest way to do it. Right. Um, push forward with that. So you can fast forward a few years. We've got a warehouse. We started importing gloves, yep. um, other bits and pieces. So what year are we talking at this point? 
when you started that? Oh, don't do numbers. Um, <laughs> let's just, uh, so, oh, I think it was 09, 010 we started. Okay. Yep. Um, so about a year and a half until we started really seriously doing packaging. Okay. Um, and that was, we were out of a van for gloves. So literally just rocking up. Mm-hmm. Hey, you want a box? No, you don't. Sweet. Next door. Right. No. Um, and it was just literally grinding all day. Mm-hmm. If you didn't sell, you didn't make any money. Mm. Um, but when we sort of evolved, it became a lot easier. We tried different methods, um, but yeah, packaging packaging sort of stuck very well. We started, a, we moved into the factory, I guess, five years ago. Mm-hmm. So if you can work back from 2018, which it is now, mm-hmm. uh, 2013, I guess, okay. about this time of the year, I think we moved in. We were there for a couple of years and we had a lot of reps. We had five reps at one stage. Wow. <clears throat> um, way too many. Yep. You know, it was, we're trying to expand and trying to replicate how we build the business. Right. So we built the business, obviously going door to door. Mm-hmm. We wanted them to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were really just order takers. Right. <clears throat> okay. They weren't developing any new lines for you or anything like that. No, they were, but not, not at the rate that we used to, mm-hmm. you know, it was always a secondary thing to take an order. It was always right. an upsell or go find, go next door, mm-hmm. you know, would send them somewhere and then it's like, did you go next door? Did you see someone else? No. Sure. And when you're selling something for thirty dollars a box, yes, you know it's next to impossible to make margin. Yes. Pay a rep, delivery driver, all that kind of stuff. But they're not mm. upselling. Mm. Uh, so we built the website early on, and mm-hmm. we said, okay, we want to be tech first. We mm-hmm. want to make sure that we're ahead of the curve. And at the time, there was no one else online selling uh, packaging. Right. Not in Melbourne anyway. Maybe okay. Other states, but yeah, we couldn't find anyone. Mm-hmm. We pushed for that. Um, yeah, it was okay. It did all right. But we re- really where we excelled was building on the back end. We mm. just went through a few development teams and then found one that helped us build what we wanted. So we built delivery modules to get proof of delivery on the spot. We built um, <clears throat> a sales rep model, uh, module, so like a sales force, but miniaturized for our business. Right. You know, um, <clears throat> spent thousands and thousands doing that. Then we ended up building an app the first time. Um, it was horrendous. Yes. Fell apart every time we did anything. Right. Um, and we sort of put it on the drawer. We put it away. This is probably three, four years ago now. Uh-huh. And we said, no, nah, look, we'll come back to it. And then we did. We came back to it and we built what would become Wanzu. Um, basically, the app was built and then we were importing at the time gloves. We still are. Went over to um, Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. And I was standing there um, in Hong Kong, the, the river. I can't remember the name of it. But <clears throat> and I was watching this guy deliver fish. Right. And I was like, why couldn't we sell fish here? Why couldn't we sell what we're selling? Yes. Well, you need the infrastructure. You need you need drivers. You need warehousing. Yes. Legit, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You need money. <clears throat> <laughs> Everyone wants more money than they Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, like we work. I'm sure they want more money. <laughs> <laughs> they um. So I was sitting there like, well, why couldn't we do this? Why couldn't we? And it was just the infrastructure. If we had a platform, we could sell to them. Sure. We had the app. So I looked at the app on the phone. I'm like, well, we could easily add other suppliers. Mm. So I sort of threw it around for a bit. Um, we're talking about three years now, I guess. Three years ago. Threw that around in the head for a while. Sort of approached Dad. It was interested. It was like, well, how much are we going to spend on it? How am I going to do? Blah, 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 blah. Um, we then said, okay, let's put it out there. Let's put the fillers out and see what we think will happen. Mm-hmm. A few suppliers are interested. Mm-hmm. Um, said, look, yeah, we'll list. We'll go from there. So we said, fine, let's go forward. We started building it. Um, and then we actually took on some investment. Um, and then after that, 
we built the product. It took us about six months to get it right to what we liked and launched it. And we've been steadily growing since there. Um, we have, oh, I don't know how we about the last 12 months we've really started hitting, hitting strides mm-hmm. it's been more about um building on what we have whereas at the start it was trying to get the product right mm-hmm. we spent a long time trying to say okay well is this what we want is this what the customer wants not being perfect but mm. trying to make it in the best image we could mm-hmm. so now we're out there pushing it and getting people on every day um as i was in wangawada yesterday talking to a customer last week i was up there sat down with them, had a meeting, they said, let's start today. You right. know, they understand what we're doing. With that situation, we're actually adding consolidated deliveries. So yes. now we offer the ability to deliver there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's in regional towns. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wanted to sign up straight away, delivery the next day. Mm-hmm. We're able to facilitate that. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a lot of different things as well. So it's come a long way, but now it's sort of getting to the next burst. You know, it's been about a year. We've been really learning, really doing what we do well. And now it's saying, okay, how can we do that better and how can we do that at scale? How can we say, how can we hit Sydney harder? I've been going there ad hocly last six months. We want to start doing that properly. We want mm-hmm. to say, okay, you know, Sydney's a big market. Brisbane's a big market. Let's make sure we do it right with the great suppliers. You know, sure. Had a lot of lessons learned. Um, a lot of suppliers that, you know, that want to do well but aren't really enthusiastic about product, it doesn't help. Mm-hmm. Um, when you find a supplier that really, really cares about what you're doing, mm. it it's tenfold. You know, mm. we're just got a, a great supplier on for chicken snitchels. Mm-hmm. He's given us a great price to go out there and sell at. Mm-hmm. We can get customers very well. Right. If the price is too high and they're just using it as a marketing technique, it's a bit harder. You know mm. what I mean? So we always look after people who promote us. Mm-hmm. You know, we want everyone on board. We want to help everybody. But if you're not going to let me help you, then we can't. So basically the premise of the app is to consolidate all the cafes, restaurants, bars, suppliers in one platform so they have an ease of ordering. Correct. So they can go on there ordering the dry goods. So they can order the, um, the, the small goods. They can order, you name it, fruit and veg. We've got people on there that sell, suppliers on there that sell furniture. We've got suppliers on there that sell just macaroons. Right. Um, we've got consultants on there, as you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything and anything that anyone wants to buy, that's what we want to be involved in. Mm-hmm. Something that we can help simplify the process. You know, our aim is to make it easier and smarter than a phone call. You know, you call up, you might spend five minutes on the phone placing your order. Mm-hmm. We should be able to do that quicker on our platforms, whether it's an app, a custom website or, or app that we do for people um, or any of the other things we have. It has to be faster and smarter than that. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want someone to get an order and go, oh, whoops, this is wrong. Mm. Which is one of the biggest pain points that suppliers have. You know, they come and tell us, well, you know, someone calls up, gets the wrong product. Well, who's at fault here? The supplier's yes. at fault. Yes. Well, the supplier always is at fault because they took the order. There has to be something wrong there. Even if someone says something wrong, you know, they're in the cafe and they're like, oh, you know, I want to get milk. They're looking at milk, but they mean juice. Yes. Well, it's the supplier's fault. Yes. Now, it's not trying to put blame on anybody, but it's putting ownership onto the person placing the order. And mm. that's a customer, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and we're doing other things to help that as well. So, yeah. What are, what are some of the big kind of learnings you've had from going into so many different venues over the years that, um, that you think are really relevant? Are you seeing like a lot of cafes and restaurants that have an exorbitant amount of supplies and therefore what you guys are doing is actually saving people time or? Definitely. 
like there's a lot of overlap in supplies you know a lot of um fruit and veg supplies will some you know the farmers and all that sort of stuff and now there is a responsibility and there's brands like such as St Ali who kind of do lead the charge and i think there's a lot of cafes really good cafes out there um just St Ali comes to mind um yes. that are leading the charge in terms of um making it important for people to know where the coffee is coming from same as market lane like there's so many good cafes that are doing that really well yes. but you know if you know like yeah it's just it's about just consistency across everything if you're talking about fundamentals to just like highlight that um, it's about excellent service great product and being consistent about everything that you do i think most definitely i think especially in the cafe space and i know you've done a bit of talking about market lane uh, mm-hmm. At the moment, you know, a massive, um, I mean, they're a massive market player here. But mm. They don't feel like it, but they certainly are. That mm. um, they really keep their brand identity mm. different um, between their sites. Mm. Um, and, and you're right, they are consistent. And the thing that is consistent is uh, the feeling that every single barista or people person you come into contact with at that venue actually cares mm. um, as much about the quality of, their, of coffee they're producing as well as where that product is actually coming from. And mm. they've done a really good job of actually talking about, you know, where that product comes from and the brand narrative around that because, mm. you know, you know, working with so many different cafes, right, a lot of people think coffee's coffee. Mm. Um so it really just comes down to, you know, how they talk about their brand story. Yeah. Do they feel comfortable? Does that customer feel comfortable? And do they like the barista who's making their coffee every day? Like it, yeah. Like it's some of those simple things. Well, with Mark Elaine, for example, I did an interview with, um, I think the co- he's the co-founder still, Jason, I think his name is Jason, yeah, Jason Sh- yep. Shelters. Yes. I might be saying his name wrong. But yep. um, I did an interview with him and it was interesting. I think a lot of people don't know that Mark Lane doesn't, um, for example, serve soy milk or no. like milk alternatives, which is yep. kind of shock factor to some people that go there. But that way, that's part of their brand saying our coffee is best with, you know, full cream, like good quality mm-hmm. milk. Yep. And that's how we make our coffee. That is yep. still part of their brand. They yes. might be losing some customers, but that's what they believe in. Mm-hmm. Because then they'll attract the right people that drink black coffee and um, full cream milk coffee that appreciate the taste of their coffee. If that Most makes definitely. sense, yeah. And, it, and it's actually a really smart play. Let's say if they lose 5% of customers who come in mm. and walk out because they, you know, only like almond milk, mm. um, <laughs> the, the people that actually love the fact that they do that will tell mm. a lot of people about that and that will in turn bring more, more clientele. So it's actually a really smart play. Mm. Um, why, why do you think... Um, brands would actually need to do a rebrand of a particular venue um, and why do you think why do you think that's important let's say someone's yeah. buying uh, an, uh, an existing cafe or an existing mm-hmm. restaurant why do you think it would be important to potentially do a rebrand well uh, when it comes down to if someone's maybe purchasing a cafe they would want to put on put their own flavor on things so I think a couple of years ago you would see all places that don't really focus on branding they'll put like under new management it's like yes. please excuse whatever other bad stuff the I past owners signs, did <laughs> it's not we're not the same we're different we're different we're not yeah. as bad as before yeah, yeah we're not as bad we're still kind of the same premises but it's about that stigma that that yes. venue had yes. um if any place does a and I think a lot of brands don't do a full rebrand they might 
change things internally that ultimately affect people's perception. But when you do do a rebrand, it's often it's often subtle, and they're little tweaks that are based on certain things, so color associations. So, mm-hmm. you know, everyone knows like um, a lot of fast food joints focus on like red and yellow because that's like the colors of hunger and thirst, and that's what mm-hmm. the colors that evokes from so that's the emotions those colors evoke. Um, but if they do do a rebrand, it's often quite subtle. So it's making, you know, the font, for example, a little bit, you know, this is just an example, like bolder or make it feel yeah. a certain way so that people associate that venue um, in a certain way. Um, yes. So if they were to do a, if, I think what was your question was, how would they go about doing a rebrand? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think it's about focusing internally about your processes, your processes and systems first, um, just mm-hmm. because you can blanket over, you know, with really nice colours and branding and really pretty things. But if internally your service is still slow, your staff are still, you know, rude or they don't understand how to communicate properly with customers, you can spend all this money with an agency or a freelancer designing and creating something. But if you haven't got those foundations sorted yet, it's pointless because then in two years' time you'll literally be that same venue that it was before the rebrand, if that makes sense. Yes. But usually yes. when people do rebrand, it is for repositioning sake so that they can be established in a certain way in a different um, in a new, sorry, in the same area. Um, yep. Their branding might be dated. So you find a lot of older franchises that are larger you know, are kind of a bit slower with rebrands, especially when there's so many people yes. involved and so many venues involved and it's quite high cost because you have to change all your assets and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does allow for growth in new and different markets. And I think if you're going to do a rebrand, it's probably just because of certain associations. Um, so mm-hmm. if you've had like a bit of a PR crisis and you've done something really wrong and you've got to change things up, that's when you kind of got to overhaul everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And who, in your sort of experience, when when people open new venues, who who sort of controls the name? Is that is that usually the the person whose actual site it is, or is it is it the the person who's the the branding expert who's saying, oh, I think this name will work because it's strong, or it means this, or you're in this location? That's interesting. Um, I think it depends on who the owner is. If you're yep. if it's a person that's quite experienced and has opened multiple venues in the past and Mm -hmm. understands the industry, they'll have a name that they feel really resonates and pays homage to the area. Um, So that's one side of things. Then there's someone that might have a name that has a personal association um, to their own experiences and their own dreams that they want to fulfil. But if you were to engage with an agency, um, like a design agency or a creative agency, they know what they're doing in terms of what works and they think of things in a, in a really beautiful kind of way to think about it. the business a lot larger than it actually is. Like they, yes. they set up the room for growth when you do work with an agency. Um, but a lot of small business owners that decide to start a cafe kind of have a name that they like and they always dreamed of having a cafe. That's what they're going to call it. If you're going to be, yeah, if you're going to be doing that, definitely I think be prepared to project manage things in a certain way, be super organised and understand how the creative part of the business is important to bringing mm-hmm. people in to the venue, if that makes sense. Yeah, most definitely, yeah. most definitely. Cool. Um, 
So I've got my food venue. I've got a great logo. I've got a great brand story. My staff ready to go. Mm-hmm. My product's on point. I'm loving my atmosphere, Bianca. Everyone's happy. <laughs> How do I actually increase the brand recognition for a food venue sort of in those first two to three months, which are critical to the success of all venues when they open? So you've got everything basically set up and ready to go. Um, yeah. It's just about, I think, creating content. That's why content has been such a big thing over the past. Look, it's been around for a while, but I think over the past just a year, people are getting it that, hey, this is the most cost-effective way to communicate what you do. It's accessible to anyone. Anyone can do it. You've got to start, like, pumping out that content. So I think it's about creating a clear strategy around what your venue is about. Um, If you're wanting Mm -hmm. to attract more, um, it just depends on the area you're in, but it's, like, showing visually that, you know, your coffee is beautiful by putting up a photo of latte art. You know, you care. Do you know mm-hmm. that shows that you care? Mm-hmm. It shows that you, the barista is skilled enough and cares enough about what he does to learn little tricks of the trade and, you know, do a little pretty um, pattern. Um, mm-hmm. It's about maybe just doing Q&As with your staff and where they come from and why they're in it because, for example, in hospitality, everyone knows that there's such high staff turnover. A lot of people get into the industry without having the intentions of being a professional in the industry. They want to, it's just as a means to an end whilst they study or whilst they are in between other sort of things too. But I think when you have certain people in your venue that are working there, they bring a certain flavour and taste to things too. So even just doing Q&As as to, you know, what they do for fun and what their passions are and getting your customers to build that relationship with them too, if that makes sense, because coffee is quite personal. Coffee and tea... People are very particular, you know what I mean? There's a, there's a way things are and then there's Most a way people like things. Um, mm-hmm. So that's another thing you can do. Um, it's just about, I think, just creating, creating content that shows what you do and how you do it consistently over time. Um, even doing collaborations with people is, and other brands mm-hmm. that are like-minded is super smart. Um, full disclosure, I used to work with Collabosaurus Um that connects brands for mutually beneficial partnerships, which is an amazing platform to check out. I highly recommend it because you can exchange cool. something that you have for something else another brand has. Um, okay. But in general, like a brand that does this significantly well is Peter Pepo. Peter Pepo will team up um, for different campaigns. Um, you know, and you see they do so many different collaborations and it's, they can still maintain the integrity of their brand and their product. But by yes. doing collaborations, for example, with... Um, I'm just trying to think for... Um, Baker to Carico, yes, for example. Yes, for mm-hmm. Easter, you know, and mm-hmm. because they're Melbourne foodie venues, you know, it's just such a smart thing to do and they can tap into each other's audience because the person that loves... I used to call it Baker to Chirico, <laughs> so I might be wrong, but <laughs> someone that te- teams up with... Uh, if, when they team up with them, they're tapping into their audience whilst also keeping their same audience too. So it's just so um, beneficial for both of them. Um, yes, and that way you can tap into new audiences as well. Um, and just even organising cross-promotions with some of your suppliers. Um, you know, you might use tea from, I'm just using this as an example, Storm in a Teacup. Like create some yeah. content with them um, about the tea, you know, educating your customers. So I'm, I'm kind of going on a bit of a tangent here. But the point no, no, no. Of, yeah, I like your tangents. The point, the point I'm tra- I'm really passionate. I'm just like... <laughs> no, no, everything, everything's so exciting. Everyone can tell Bianca it's good. It's <laughs> so good. many opportunities. But I think just creating content 
and really focusing on what your brand does and what your business does really well and just communicating that, you know, being proud of that. You know, yeah. I think a lot of um, cafe managers and business owners really do love their staff and they are the people that are communicating everything that you've ever put into practice. Do you know what I mean? And everything that you've built, yep, totally. you know, they're doing the things. So just empowering them as well on how to use social media too. And because they're working sort of day in, day out. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, most, most definitely. Like they are day in, mm. day out. They know what's going on. Yeah. Right? I was going to say, why do you think collaborations are now, you know, so predominant and so cool to do? Because, you know, when I was early starter, like in my early mm-hmm. 20s and stuff like that, like business owners would hold on to every single piece of information they had mm. and IP and all that kind of stuff. Like it was really hard to do. Um, collaborations. If it if it was happening, it was big brands with other big brands, mm. you know, in order to siphon people and offer a new product launch or something like mm. that. Why do you think it's happening on such a micro scale now with these venues? Because um, I think they're seeing the value in terms of the brand equity that they bring. So Peter yeah. Pepper brings um, a really fun, exciting, playful Italian charm and, you know, Baker de Chirico, that's what I call it. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> is it Baker de Chirico? How did you say it? Yeah, Chirico. Oh, well, that's yeah. cool. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm sounding uncultured. But <laughs> um, they bring, you know, really good quality, um, uh, you know, uh, baked goods. But so does um, Peter Pepe. They bring really good quality ice cream, and that's what they have in common. Um, so it's about yes. teaming up. If you're going to – if it's because, for example, when those two brands team up – they're able to secure press because they, you know, if they're getting featured in Broadsheet, then Broadsheet's readers love both of those brands. So they're sharing that brand Correct. equity and making yep. both their customers happy. Um, yep. But you can do smaller collaborations and team up on smaller things. So there's, you know, if you're in a bar, for example, team up with um, a liquor-based brand, um, like an alcohol brand, to create a custom drink. Mm-hmm. Or something like that. Yeah. Like really think outside the cool box idea. and get creative with what you actually have already. Like you don't have mm-hmm. to be reaching out to brand new people because that can take some time. But it's about the networks you already have and how you can team up with them to to really create that brand awareness and you know in, improve your brand recognition. You know, you mm-hmm. might. You know, it's just it's about leveraging what assets you actually currently have, and you're exchanging yeah, those different. assets for a certain project or campaign in exchange for what they have to offer and stuff. So it's very, it's all about being mutually beneficial and getting what you need out of it and what they can get out of it too. And it's just about just sharing what your customer already loves and knows about you in a different kind of way. Yes, yes, to get a different understanding. Yeah. With, um, with so much social and so much different points of marketing that any venue owner can actually use now mm-hmm. if you look at... Um, you know, broadsheet urban list with press releases, if you're talking mm-hmm. um, uh, CRM, email-based marketing to consumers who have already been in your site, mm-hmm. um, if you're talking websites and then you bring in social media with that, um, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, mm-hmm. um, you know, pictures, videos, all this kind of stuff. Like it's, like it's quite overwhelming mm-hmm. for a person who owned a venue 15 years mm. ago when really all they needed to do was make sure they had a great quality product, great service, mm. and then they knew if they delivered on that brand, their actual experience with inside the four walls, mm-hmm. 
then they could actually bring more consumers, mm -hmm. right? More customers. What do you think for a person who might not be at the level yet to use someone of your high skill um, to help mm -hmm. out? Um, what do you think they could really focus on to maybe get the most return now as we're sort of talking, you know, June 2018? Mm. Well, I think focus, uh, see it as things as in levels. Um, it's very easy to get overwhelmed by all the different variety of things and you don't need to be everywhere. Um, for example, yeah. even marketing and marketers, marketers don't have to do all the things and be all the things. They just need to be prepared to know what tool to use when it's needed. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, yes. So think of it as in if you're, if, and this is just like basic 101, if you're not on Instagram as a cafe, get on Instagram. Like don't focus yes. on having the perfect logo because, you know, before you can do that. Don't wait for that sort of permission to get started because the first initial stage that you're having a problem with is getting confident in your product and the content you're putting out there. You know what I mean? Yes. Build a habit around putting out, photos on Instagram, talking about your product, talking about your people, and then comes the next phase. So it's like, because, for example, if you are a cafe, you you deal with customers in real life. Your customer doesn't necessarily care, I don't think, about being on a mailing list unless no. you do events and workshops and all that sort of stuff. If you're just selling mm -hmm. coffee day in, day out, all the marketing is kind of happening within the venue and it's all about bringing people yes. into the venue. So then that's what you need to focus on unless you want to diversify and do workshops, which I recommend you do do. Um, yes. That's a great <laughs> other way to get some extra revenue um, going. Yep. But um, so focus on that first. In terms of email marketing, you, you've, if, if you wanted to do workshops and all that sort of stuff, you've got to get people to know about it. You know, maybe even just set up like a sign-up, um, like a printable if you're not into technology or whatever, set up, um, print out like a name and email sheet be like, hey, we're going to do some events, sign up to find out. And if you've got 200 customers that have come in and 50 of them have wanted to sign up, that's a way to mm -hmm. get them onto your mailing list. Otherwise, how are you going to tell them to get on your mailing list if you're dealing with them in real life? For example, um, like when I used to work with My Goals, which is a stationary brand, when we used to work at the, like, um, what's it? the big design market and finders yep. keepers. So they're all very like arts and crafts, really cool. Um, where you can discover new brands and stuff like that. And so when people um, wanted to keep in the know of what we were working on or all that sort of stuff, we'd have an iPad or a worksheet um, available for people to sign up because there's such a high volume of people coming into those doors. I think it was like an excess of 10,000 people. And it's like, well, that's, Why it's not? a huge advantage to get those new people like introduced to your brand through your email marketing systems, if that makes sense. So yes. essentially that's phase two. So you've got social media, phase one, get confident with content. Phase two is your email marketing and getting people to sign up to your mailing list because it's a different level of trust. Um, yes. It's so easy just to hit follow and it's very like low involvement. Meanwhile, if someone's giving you the email, they're inviting you to their inbox, which they check daily, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, yep. So I think I'd focus on those two things. Um, and then when you have events, like create an event on Facebook, like see what happens organically with the audience you already have. Most yeah, if, you've got, if you don't necessarily have an audience on Facebook, use it more so as a channel for Facebook advertising because um, you don't have that, you know, if you've only got 10 followers on Facebook, you're not going to have 40 people coming to your event. 
It's just simple yes. mathematics. But it's like yep. using the platform as an advertising platform. So if you're going to host an event, you know, put some money into it to see what happens and comes from it. Because with Facebook advertising and any advertising, when you're sort of starting out, it's all about testing. It's just continuously testing what works, what doesn't. It didn't work, mm. you eliminate it or you put it to the side and you keep on mm. building on what has worked. What, what's, your, what's your theory on, um, on why some Facebook marketing campaigns don't work? Do you think... Do you think it's because of, and this goes for mm. Instagram as well, which obviously does paid advertising too. Mm. Do, you, do you think it's because of the copy? Do you think it's because people sort of want to spend a bid and test and then don't get the return they, you know, they wanted, which they might have thought was, you know, a massive return mm. uh, and then don't do it anymore? Like, do you think it's more the copy or do you think it's people just not giving a, a real red hot go? Um, I, think, I think people give up before they even try it. They tried... <laughs> Yeah, they they right. create one Facebook ad in terms of who they think their customers are. They don't see yep. a return and then they leave it to go dusty in the corner. Um, and the thing yes. is, any marketing professional will tell you this, it's all about testing. It walks in the door, whether it's in your fast casual restaurant or mm -hmm. whether it's in your very uh, high-end fine dining. Yep. And the last 30 seconds as they're going out the door, yes. these are the things that shape the experience. Mm -hmm. The ability of the person doing the meet and greet and doing the farewell to shape the overall impression mm -hmm. of the customer's experience is extraordinary. And the effect that that has on repeat visitation should not in any way be underestimated. Let me give you an example of, a, of one restaurant that does that meet and greet and the farewell incredibly well. Yes. I've been a, an occasional customer at the Flower Drum in Melbourne for mm -hmm. many, many years. Mm -hmm. you know? When you walk into the flower drum at night for dinner, right, and you walk from the from the meet and greet point at the start, perhaps all the way to the back of the restaurant, yes, where your table might be. As you walk through that restaurant, you'll be acknowledged by every staff member. Right. Every staff member. It's like a flanks of of people welcoming you to the venue, mm. and then when you leave, normally there'll be at least four, three or four people near the door encouraging you to come back soon. These are things that make a difference. Now, the flower drum's been around for however many years. A long right? time. A long time. Why is it? Because people have a good time. Is the flower drum an inexpensive restaurant to go to? By no means. Yes. yes. I mean, in a restaurant with however many thousand Chinese, in, sorry, in a city with however many thousand Chinese restaurants. Yes. How have they managed to survive for as long as what they do? Most well. Definitely. They've run their business in an incredibly professional way. Yes. They've always run it to a standard, not to a price. They've always run mm -hmm. it to a standard. Mm -hmm. And part of that standard has been having exceptional people skills and ensuring that the customer feels special. So that customer experience, whether you're a fine diner like the flower drum or whether you're at the other end of the market with a QSR, yes. a simple good morning Good evening, mm. hello, goodbye. Mm -hmm. The fundamentals of common courtesy are now so rare in the retail environment in which we live. In your food business, you actually have an opportunity to differentiate yourself from the next business by having your staff engage in those simple common courtesies. So that brings me to the point of 
well, how do you get people like that? Well, yes. firstly, you need to have... question. Yeah, well, you need to have people recruiting mm. who actually hold those values mm-hmm. to whom it's important that they say, good morning, yes. goodbye, please, yes. thank you. Yes. Because they will recruit people who have similar values to themselves. Most definitely. Now, if you've got a lot of staff that don't have the common courtesies, it probably means that you've got the managers or the people doing the recruitment that don't have the common courtesies. Yes. The best thing you can do is then fire the people hiring the people. Yes. Because that's where you've got to start. Yeah, most definitely. You've got to start there. So that, that whole customer experience thing, please, thank you, hello, goodbye. Mm. Please come again soon. Mm. I mean, these are just the fundamentals of hospitality. It doesn't matter whether we're talking about a restaurant at $250 a head or whether it's, you know, someone walking in to get their dollar bag of chips. Yes. How about, hi, good morning. Mm. Because you don't know who that customer is actually going to turn out to be for the long run of the brand. It's a bit like how Apple services their consumer. They think about them in the, you know, the 10-year cycle of that customer experience. They don't think about that transaction in the hour or so you might be choosing what phone you want or what ipad you want absolutely chum and Mm. and one of the things that um as an industry and certainly retail has become way too transactional yes it's become that transactional to the point where people don't even now when they ask you for your money to pay for something they don't even say please yes the amount of times people just say ten dollars yes not ten dollars please yes yes (laughs) <laughs> like you're doing, like you're doing them a favour, yeah, by coming, yeah. So, those people who focus on getting exceptional customer standards, yes, right, and delivering yes. the things that help their customers feel good about being in their environment are the ones that will do well, yep. with their in-store experiences. Yeah, right? most definitely, most definitely. And I would posit that a lot of retail experiences in general yes um, and I'm talking non-food here yes actually the in-store experience adds negative value yes so given that that in-store experience adds negative value yes why am I going to get off off the couch and go down to your store to get ordinary service and pay more for something Mm. when I can sit at home and buy it from whoever I like yes for probably half the price yes and have it delivered at a time of my choosing yep and yet retailers in general continue to want to not recognize the importance of their customer service and the in-store experience and a lot of them also just pay lip service to it do you know i heard um <coughs> it's funny we're talking about online shopping now but i've actually heard that the biggest doors doors front doors selling in america at the moment uh, is a door that sits in front of your normal door so Amazon can put the package in your front door. There you go. <laughs> so the world's completely changing. There you go. Um, Frank, I think we can talk for hours, but I know you're a busy man, so I don't want to do that. Um, I, uh, I know you're a, obviously a massive lover of wine. I hope you do in time open up another wine bar so I can <laughs> frequent it. But um, I wanted to ask, um, as, as a closing question, um, what what your favourite wine that you're drinking is the at the moment? If that's a actual question to ask you, oh, gee. possible question. <clears throat> well, it's a good question. Um, I think uh, certainly in Australia we've got a lot of interesting things going on here um, with 
both Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Yes. As well as uh, some of the more recently introduced varietals like Nebbiolo. Yes. Um, and probably those varieties are the ones that most int- interest me the most. Okay. And I tend to focus on out of Australia, along with some Shiraz as well. Yes. Um, but I guess, you know, for a long time I've been a great devotee of European wines and mm-hmm. a real Francophile. Mm-hmm. And so hence the wines of France, also wines of Italy, Spain, Germany, mm-hmm. etc. So out of mm-hmm. France, love Chablis, which is one of the great wines of the world and inimitable and still pretty affordable mm-hmm. at the, at the uh, most simple, you know, entry level Chablis, the village wines. And with Nebbiolo, if you, go, if you talk about uh, Langi Nebbiolo from Piedmonte, those wines are very affordable. Mm-hmm. So pretty much our house wines here, the things that we like to drink are either Australian Pernod, Australian Chardonnay, or Pernod, Chardonnay, Nebbiolo, Tempranillo yes. out of Europe. They're the things that we like. Beautiful. Well, happily pour you a glass if it was a bit oh, later in the day, oh, sure. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> But we should, at this time of morning, should, it's a bit We should have done in the show. afternoon, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> we should have. Uh, Frank, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I'll link in uh, all your LinkedIn details. I think it's the easiest way for people to contact you if they would like to in the bio. Um, and appreciate your time. Thanks yeah, it's very pleasure, much. John. Thanks so much. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks, Frank. <laughs> well, I hope you got some useful stuff out of it. Oh, that, no, that, was a, that could have been a much longer conversation. Well, yeah, they're interesting discussion challenge i'm i'm looking at obviously that i got about two years so that's kind of a a hardcore in my face reality Mm -hmm. but the process really needs to start now so that's probably my biggest thing i'm also doing more consulting along the way with various companies that Mm kind of need help with the marketing side of it so i'm developing myself a little bit personally as more of a business as well Mm -hmm. um but that's kind of where i'm at i just i want to keep doing more of what we're doing in terms of our food and our service and our guests that just Mm -hmm. never stops but um you know, I also want to maybe extend into products and some things along those lines, but those are some projects I'm, uh, I'm working on. So Now, Tony, I've noticed you obviously branded yourself as Chef Tony in regards to Twitter and, and other things. Was that a deliberate ploy um, at the start, or is that just something that evolved? No, it was definitely, I appreciate the question, it was definitely a, a plan. I mean, as we rebranded ourselves in the restaurant, we were kind of, uh, through an interesting story, but I won't get into too long, but somebody mm-hmm. kind of suggested like, hey, what's this whole visions thing, right? And so <laughs> we realized that it could be a local, you know, know the chef kind of place. And I, mm-hmm. I meet people always call me Chef Tony. And so it just was a thing. And plus, I realized along the way that if I were to come out with products or one day open another restaurant or mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. Chef Tony would carry through to all kinds of things. So it was definitely mm-hmm. conscious. Okay. And, and where, are you, where are you hoping to develop that name now you're looking to i think you said you're looking to get into some uh food products and and that kind of thing is that where you want to take it yeah i'd like to see what that can develop it's definitely a process to develop uh you know your sauces and dressings and things like that mm-hmm. um i got kind of have a feeling that i could hit on one good product that would really capture something that could be big so mm. i want to play in that space a little bit it takes a bit of time to develop through a commercial food producer, all the recipes mm, and that course. thing. So, mm. you know, I'm kind of uh, financially we're able to do it, which is nice. So I think it's just a matter of dedicating the right time to it. Mm-hmm. And I also think getting into something like, you know, 
training people to cook at home or even on the marketing side, teaching other business owners. So I just want to take the experiences I've been able to be blessed with and pass them along and, and, and earn a living from that as well as the restaurant because, you know, restaurant business is very, is very physical. Yes. And so I'm looking to develop myself out of the business a little bit here and there and mm-hmm. hire, you know, quality people to run a little bit of it for us so that we can mm-hmm. have a, a better uh, personal life and, and have a little vacation here and there and that, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So it all kind of ties together. Yeah, totally understand where you're coming from. Um, Tony, I want to I thank you so much for your time today. You've been an absolute um, wealth of knowledge uh, for people who are listening to this. I'm sure they're super appreciative. Um, so I want to thank you for that. And just uh, and just leading to our last question, uh, as we do on every Common Ground podcast, which is, Chef Tony, if you were twenty years old, what advice would you give to yourself, knowing what you know now? That's great. That's great. <laughs> um, I would say that, uh, you know, I guess I would say balance is really crucial. You know, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm definitely a hard worker. I, I enjoy. Mm-hmm. I'm very curious, and I think that's a blessing. But I think sometimes developing the uh, skill set to be a little more social, a little more, um, you know, give yourself a little more time off here and there. Like mm-hmm. hard, being a hard worker is a great a great character trait, I think. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, life is certainly not all about work. So I think it's really just about maybe being a little more balanced. Um, mm-hmm. and, pro- and probably being quite frank, taking better care of my health in terms yes. of just being a little more active and being out mm-hmm. there. And, uh, I, I love to do what I do. So I'm blessed to have a lot of passion for the things I'm into. So I don't, I would never change that, but you know, life is short. So you got to make sure to take care of yourself. So yeah, that's totally always agree. wise. I think totally agree. Yeah. Tony, I'm going to, I'm going to link up all your, all your, uh, all your different pathways for people to reach you um, with this podcast so that. people can connect with you. But probably the easiest way and the way that we connected is to follow you on Twitter at Chef Tony. I think yeah. that's, that's the easiest way. And um, again, well, I, want to, I want to thank you so much for your, for your time. I know you've been really busy as normal and, uh, and look forward to chatting with you again soon. I'm ready anytime. I really appreciate you how you have me on here. It's, it's been a blast. All right. Thank you, Tony. Cheers. Well, I hope you really enjoyed that episode today with Tony Manchetti, Chef Tony, uh, an absolute wealth of knowledge as you've just heard. Um, as I said before, you can follow him on pretty much every social media platform, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, all under Chef Tony. Uh, he's got an amazing restaurant, uh, as you heard, in America as well. So definitely want to check that out when I'm next back. So I hope you do as well. And uh, and let me know what you think. Make sure you hit us up uh, on Twitter as well, uh, at Open Pantry Co. Or, uh, or just search for Sean DeVries, so S-H-A-U-N dot D-E-V-R-I-E-S. We, uh, we love bringing this podcast to you. We hope you get a lot out of it. And let us know what you think. We'll talk to you very, very shortly.